Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, flying solo once again. Johnny the Jew stood me up. I am Johnny the Gentile Profita. He is alive, by the way, Johnny the Jew. I have seen him recently. He he was he was on vacation. He just got back last week, and we got to we actually got together this weekend. He had some people over for a barbecue on the Gay Pride Parade Day. Oh, Jesus! He has chosen to live in the heart of Boys Town, which made it impossible to get to his place because the parade was going on. By the way. I, I got to talk about the, this whole gay, gay pride parade thing, gay pride in general. First of all, it has nothing to do with being gay. All parades are gay, okay? I hate all parades equally. I hate the crowds. I hate the fact that they block off half the goddamn city and nobody can get around. It's all just a disaster, if you ask me. But I, I just think this is enough already. Like, Listen, nobody under the age of 70 cares anymore if you're gay. And by that age, there's no changing their mind. You know what I mean? Look, look at Bernie Sanders. He still thinks socialism is a good idea. That it hasn't been this abject failure in every sense of the word. There's nothing you could say or do. or There's no amount of parades you could throw to change Bernie Sanders' mind. So when it comes to to being gay and having gay pride, whatever, I, I still don't really understand what this parade is, is supposed to do. But the fight is over, okay? And it's like you guys won't accept victory. Like, everyone's, just about everybody's on your side with this. It's time to move on to the next issue. And I just don't understand these parades. Maybe somebody out there can enlighten me. Feel free to tweet at me, at Pedal Fiction. I've never understood why sexuality has be, has to become this entire lifestyle. And it has to affect, you know, the way you dress, the way you talk, and whatever. I, I just feel like if I was gay, I would be angry at all these clowns marching up and down the streets, wearing assless chaps, acting like complete buffoons. Because they're adding to these stereotypes that, that they've worked so hard to overcome over, over the last generation or so. I'd like to think that, you know, if I was gay, the only gay thing about me would be the part of, about me having sex with men. <laughs> it wouldn't, being gay wouldn't make me want to watch Sex in the City and all these stupid award shows for the outfits. 
Uh, I don't know. Anyway, my point is, I, I think everyone has, has pretty much come around on the whole gay issue. Which, by the way, as I pointed out before, libertarians had this correct all along. We've been right on this before, before the most liberal people out there. Barack Obama, uh, you know, in 2008, as early as 2008, believed that marriage was between a man and a woman. That's how far we've come since 2008. But libertarians, long before then, knew that it was no business of the government to get involved between the relationship of two free people. So everyone has come around on this issue. We can stop the shenanigans. We don't need a whole month of rainbow-colored bullshit, okay? This is the same thing that they fucking did with the NFL and breast cancer. We we have an entire month of obnoxiously colored pink sports paraphernalia, and every game is all this virtue signaling. Maybe we needed that 20 years ago to raise awareness, but we don't need it anymore. We're all well aware, okay? We know about breast cancer. The breast cancer survival rates are like over 90%. And if you detect it early, something like over 60% of the cases fall into this... um, early detection, the survival rate is like as close to 100% as you can get, which is great. That's great. Maybe all this pink horse shit worked. I don't know. Awesome. Now, on to the next disease. You know, I'm no doctor, but I bet prostate cancer rates are far worse than breast, ca- uh, breast cancer. And this is the fucking NFL. This is football. The stadiums are filled with old fucking men with potentially fucked up prostates. And there's no campaign for that. Everybody watching has a prostate. Or how about, you know, how about pancreatic cancer? I've lost some very dear friends to that. Not to mention Patrick Swayze. That cancer is a fucking death sentence. It's guaranteed. But no, we gotta we gotta keep up with the breast cancer thing when we've basically solved the problem. So can we just cool it, cool it with the shit that we've already solved, and start working on real problems? Breast cancer, gay rights, we got it. It's over. You guys won. Great. On to the next thing. You know, pretty soon, Breast Cancer Awareness Month is going to be as pointless as having like a polio awareness month. Is it ever going to end? Am I going to be dying of prostate cancer 20 years from now and have to having to watch from my, you know, from my hospital bed having to watch football players running around with pink towels and shoes? Let it go. You know, if breast cancer is your cause, that's great. Donate all you want to the the pink breast cancer stuff. We don't need an entire month dedicated to its awareness. We already know about it. And if you want to be gay, go ahead, be gay, more power to you. I think that's great. You know, more chicks for me. <laughs> but I, I, I thought the original point of these parades was to show the world that, you know, all, all of there, there were all these gay people that were sort of living in the shadows. And now here they are. You know, we're we're out here. We're, we're gay. Like, no big deal. Right. We're proud of it. Whatever. We get it now. All right. That, that lifestyle is no longer really taboo. I, I don't I don't understand why we still need to have the parades. And it just seems like they, they have to keep pushing the envelope because now it's, I mean, t- take a look at some of these crowds. It's not just about being gay anymore. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on down there. 
<laughs> I guess it's just an excuse to party and have a good time. But why do we have to block off like half the city to do that? Same thing with, ugh, whatever. Don't get me started on marathons. The point is that we've made some great strides. Now we can deal with actual problems that still exist. And I'm not talking about like giving hormones to kids or whatever the crazy shit that's coming out of these psychos on the left these days. We need to have a, a, an end the Fed parade. Something like that. Or maybe a, a taxation is theft awareness month. I've got the perfect month for that. Ah, anyway. <laughs> so I was, I was going over to Johnny the Jews for a barbecue on Sunday. And like I said, he's chosen to live pretty much in the heart of Boys Town in Chicago near Wrigley Field. Some might say the biggest gay bar in the world. <laughs> and of course, the Pride Parade's going on, except that it's been completely screwed up because it's pouring rain. All right, so now people are scattered all over the place. The parade route is gone. There's people everywhere. All the streets are screwed. It's impossible to get around ended up just getting off I, I tried taking a bus it just took forever you know it was like being in that at the, in the beginning of office space and they're sitting in traffic and that old lady with the walker or the old lady or old man I can't remember with the walker is actually passing them so I ended up getting out and just walking um took me about an hour to get there door to door but we had a good time you know food was good Got to see a couple old friends from high school and some of uh, John's friends from Israel that I um, I think I met a couple of them at his wedding, which was out there. And then, of course, he bails. <laughs> he bails on our first episode, which he promised that he would be back for. Um, so here I am, ranting about gays and breast cancer. <laughs> uh, but the reason I turned on the mic today was to recap the recent Democratic debates. Because we, we just had the two, two nights of these so-called debates. Of course, nothing actually gets debated. This whole thing is just pomp and circumstance. It, it's literally just a performance, you know, political theater. Basically, all you get out of these politicians are these meaningless political platitudes in 30-second increments. That is when they aren't just outright lying to the American people. The Democrats, you know, they, they lie about how much free stuff we're going to give you, all this free stuff you're going to get. The Republicans love to lie about how they're going to shrink the size and scope of government. And it's all just a bunch of bullshit. It's just a, it's just a dog and pony show. And with each passing year, it, it seems to get worse. I, I thought that this debate was, well, I guess these two these two debates because it was it was spread over two days it was the most cringeworthy thing when i think i've seen when it comes to politics and and that is saying that is saying quite a lot so we have something like 24 candidates running on the democratic ticket right now only 20 of those were allowed into the first formal debates i think they do it based on some combination of of polling and fundraising not exactly sure. CNN is claiming that they randomly assign these candidates to each night. But it seemed pretty obvious that the first night at debates was the JV team. I think they just threw Elizabeth Warren in there 
to lend some credence to their claim that this wasn't completely that this wasn't a hand-picked team of of losers and then the second night has the big hitters in it I, I think she was polling in third place at the time before the debates took place so I guess since we had two nights of debates I will take them apart one at a time the first night you know we had the JV team and I guess of the JV team, you can say the heavy hitters, if you can call them that, were Elizabeth Warren, you had Cory Booker, you had the former media darling Beto O'Rourke, or should I say Robert Francis O'Rourke. Uh, we also had Tulsi Gabbard, who libertarians have just been like obsessed with her. A couple people you've never heard of, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota. She was pretty forgettable. And then you had like Mayor de Blasio. Oh, and then you also had um, Julian Castro. Julian Castro had some interesting comments I'm going to play for you. So, I mean, it just seems like the more, the more they try, the worse the Democrats get. It it almost seems like at this point, they're trying to get Donald Trump reelected. This was an incredibly pathetic group of candidates and there were 10 of them i can't even remember the names of 30 or 40 percent of them you really it doesn't matter they're completely irrelevant i don't think that this platform works anymore i don't think that these 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 types of so-called debates where you get you know where you act all presidential and you have these phony fucking canned formatted answers you know, they all do this thing where they get asked a question and then they'll be all, you know, thank you. Thank you for that question. Here's a bullshit anecdotal sob story designed to make me look like a victim, even though I'm probably more rich and successful than 85% of the people watching this and I'm running for president. Then to answer your question, here's a meaningless platitude that a third grader might say, you know, something along the lines of in the current year. Nobody should have to go without X, Y, and Z. You know, crap like that. That, that. That's all they say. And you get, you know, you get 30 seconds to talk every 20 minutes. And there's just, there's nothing separating. There's nothing really interesting going on, at least definitely not in the first night. There's nothing separating these candidates, really, except for Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard, libertarians have high hopes for her. I don't, I mean, I get where they're coming from. And the argument goes something like this, right? She's, yes, she's terrible on domestic policies, she's terrible on education, economics, um, ex, you know, expanding the role of government. She's, she's just as bad as all the other candidates. But she doesn't really talk about that stuff. What she talks about is being anti-war. That's her platform. First and foremost, we're going to end the wars. I'm a veteran. I'm still serving in the military this is what I'm passionate about. We, we, need to, we need to end these wars. We need to stop intervening overseas. And so from the libertarian perspective, they, they, want, they want help on this issue. Obviously, we need to have both parties in, to be anti-war in order for this to be successful. Um, the Democrats used to be the anti-war party. That all seemed to go out the window as soon as um, Barack Obama took office and started to bomb democracy into every brown country on the face of the earth. 
so now they're they're hoping that that she can reach across the aisle, I guess, so to speak, and they're willing to sacrifice all these other things that she's horrible on just to get her message out there and have her in the debates. Yeah, I mean it's it's nice to have that perspective. I didn't think she did particularly well. She had she did have a, a good exchange with some guy who's who's like I, I forget his name. He he is now totally irrelevant. Um, because he look she made him. I mean, he made himself look like a buffoon, and and she was there to capitalize on it somewhat. I thought she could have done better. She came across to me as as sort of nervous. I don't know. I'm 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 sure it's nerve wracking to be up on that stage with millions of people watching you. I just can't I can't get on board with with all the socialist stuff. I I do like having her in the debates though. It it is nice to get the it, a different perspective out there. I mean, like I said last episode, she has no chance of of getting getting the nomination if only because she doesn't hold the you know what Tom Woods calls the 3 by she's not on the three by five index card of allowable opinion when it comes to foreign policy. So she's going to get the Ron Paul treatment. And of course, yeah, she got like, I don't know, three questions the whole night, something like that. And they started out with like them asking her to apologize for if she owed an apology to the LGBT community or something like that from, you know, like 20 years ago, she wasn't as, as pro gay as she is now. It's such bullshit, man. They don't ask any other any of the other candidates up there to apologize for views that they've evolved on over time. They would never ask Barack Obama, "Oh, well, do you do you owe the LGBTQ community an apology?" So th- that that was like the first question I think she got, and she just completely ignored it, which was great. And she just started talking about ending wars. It it was. <laughs> That there's something hilarious about that where they ask you these questions you don't even they don't even make you answer them you can just talk about whatever the hell you want and then they just move right along as as if you you did answer the question but you know one important thing is that the message of anti-war sells it's popular you know Ron Paul had had more support from the military than like all the other Republican candidates combined People are sick of these wars. They've been going on for twenty years, okay, and, and we're we're in in just as much shit as we were before they started. There has been no progress. There have been hundreds of thousands of people killed, millions displaced. Okay, all of these migrant issues in Europe—they're all a result of what we've been doing over there. Not to mention all the soldiers, the U.S. soldiers that have died or come back. You know with uh, missing limbs or just mentally completely screwed up. All, this whole like opioid crisis <laughs> has its root in that. There's all, all these suicides now. It's, it's a complete disaster. All, all these problems at the, at the, at the VA. Yeah. You, you want to, <laughs> I can, I can clean up the VA in a fucking heartbeat. I wouldn't even have to privatize it, which would obviously be the best thing to do, but just stop creating all these veterans. So it's really it's really quite fucking simple. Um, end the wars. So that message does sell. I just didn't. I, I and I haven't seen much of Tulsi Gabbard, but you know, libertarians have very high hopes for her. I hope she did enough. 
it seems like, you know, the next day I know she won a drudge poll and she was the most searched candidate after the debate. So that's something. But I mean, you got to look at what she was up on stage with, you know, Bill de Blasio, some fucking guy who I can't remember his name, the Amy Klobuchar, who's like this milk toast senator from Minnesota, Julian Castro. Okay, so then you had Cory Booker and uh, Elizabeth Warren. Like, nobody needs to search. Oh, and Tim Ryan. <laughs> nobody needs to search <laughs> Elizabeth Warren anymore. We already got her DNA results. We know she's not a fucking Indian. So, yeah, that's great that she was the most searched, and she got a little pop, and she did have a good exchange. I just thought that she kind of came f- across flat, you know, she got set up perfectly to just lay the smack down on this guy. She said the right things. It's just the way that she said them. So let, let's just, we'll listen to it and I'll break it down. Today, the Taliban claimed responsibility for killing two American service members in Afghanistan. Uh, leaders as disparate as President Obama and President Trump have both said that they want to end U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. But it isn't over for America. Why isn't it over? Why can't presidents of very different parties and very different temperaments get us out of there? And how could you? I appreciate that question. So I've I've been in Congress 17 years, and 12 of those years I've sat on the Armed Services Committee, either the Defense Appropriations Committee or the Armed Services Committee. And the lesson that I've learned over the years is that you have to stay engaged in these situations. Nobody likes it. It's long. It's tedious. But right now we have, so I would say we must be engaged in this. We must have our State Department engaged. We must have our military engaged to the, st- to the extent they need to be. But the reality of it is this president doesn't even have people appointed in the State Department to deal with these things. Whether we're talking about Central America, whether we're talking about Iran, whether we're talking about Afghanistan, we've got to be completely engaged. And here's why. Because these flare-ups distract us from the real problems in the country. If we're if getting a drone shot down for $130 million because the president is distracted, That's $130 million that we could be spending in places like Youngstown, Ohio, or Flint, Michigan, or or rebuilding. Congresswoman Gallagher, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, actually, to jump off what he said. He described engagement as the problem. You will tell the parents of those two soldiers who were just killed in Afghanistan, well, we just have to be engaged. As a soldier, I will tell you that answer is unacceptable. We have to bring our troops home from Afghanistan. We are in a place in Afghanistan where we have lost so many lives. We've spent so much money, money that's coming out of every one of our pockets, money that should be going into communities here at home, meeting the needs of the people here at home. We are no better off in Afghanistan today than we were when this war began. This is why it's so important to have a president and commander in chief who knows the cost of war and who's ready to do the job on day one. I am ready to do that job when I walk into the Oval Office. Thank you very much. Listen, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the line here. Well, you know what? You felt, you felt like she was responding. You get 30 seconds. Go. Fair enough. I appreciate that. I hear what you're saying. I would just say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be engaged. I wish we were spending all this money in places that I've represented that have been completely forgotten and we were rebuilding. But the reality of it is, if the United States isn't engaged, the Taliban will grow and they will have bigger, bolder terrorist acts. 
We have got to have some present there. It's, the it's the Taliban was there long before we came in. They'll yeah, be and they there were, long yeah, before we exactly. leave. Well, we cannot keep U.S. And troops deployed to Afghanistan thinking that we're going to somehow squash this Taliban that has say, been there that every other country that's them. tried I didn't say squash them. When we weren't in there, they started flying planes into our buildings. So I'm just saying right now, the we Taliban have didn't attack us on 9-11. Al-Qaeda did. Well, I understand. Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11. That's why I and so I many other people joined the military to go I after Al-Qaeda, not Taliban, the Taliban. The Taliban ahead, up was seconds. protecting those people who were plotting against us. All I'm saying is, if we want to go in to elections and we want to say that we got to withdraw from the world, that's what President Trump is saying. We okay. can't. I would love you know for us to. protecting right. Al-Qaeda right now I want to go Saudi down. Arabia. Okay, so that was by far her best moment of the night. And, and this was like one of the only sort of confrontations or whatever that actually took place. This was a very, very boring night, um, as, as Trump was quick to point out. <laughs> but anyways, that was, that was Tulsi Gabbard's best moment. And it, it should have been the moment that she was waiting for. Like, that's exactly what she needed to have happen was this guy. guy I, already, I already forgot his name, and I just watched the clip. Tim Ryan, I think it is. Tim Ryan. Okay. Very, fr like, Tim Ryan is done. That's all he'll be known for is thinking that the Taliban attacked us on 9-11 and that we need to stay engaged. Like, these are, these are layups for Tulsi Gabbard. Like, don't get me wrong. She knows, she knows her shit on foreign policy and she understands these wars. She's absolutely right at the very end where she starts talking about Saudi Arabia and and the insanity of our foreign policy with respect to Saudi Arabia. Like these are layups for her. She's not like Gary Johnson where, you know, what's Aleppo. She's not going to have one of those moments. But I just thought like when when you get this sort of opportunity and it might be your only one because you are going to get the Ron Paul treatment and you are not going to get I mean, thankfully this Tim Ryan guy was dumb enough to have like the the most like neocon position ever on this like we just have to stay engaged in perpetuity just the dumbest position like the dumbest part like just lemming answer like oh we, well we just have to stay engaged because 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 we do because we're over there because they'll fly planes because they'll attack us if we're not and i just thought that that, that tulsi could have she just came across sort of like dispassionate about it I feel like she wanted to say more and, and maybe she was getting cut off or something like that. But when when he says something that stupid, you have to really fucking slam him for that. Like you have to just go off on him for being that dumb, that ignorant. Like you are you are every you are the like epitome of what is wrong with U.S. foreign policy. You can't just be like correcting him on technicalities, you know, and that's that stuff's not going to work with Trump either. We saw we saw that in the debates when when Rand Paul tried to point Donald Trump is going off on the on China being a, a currency manipulator and like how we, how we need to um, kick him out of the TPP or something like that. And Rand Paul just he's he just goes, does anybody want to point out that China isn't even in the TPP? And Trump just looks at him and goes, what are you at, like 3% in the polls? Having a tough night, huh? <laughs> or something like that. And it was just over. And, and Trump wins that exchange.
So if you're Tulsi Gabbard, you can't just be like, well, the Taliban didn't attack us. Al-Qaeda did. And leave it at that. You have to, like, rip on this guy. You have to pants him. You have to Jeb Bush him, you know? Embarrass him. But, I, I mean, I think she she did pretty good there. She didn't have a terrible night. By by all accounts, she she had a, a fairly successful night. She she was the most searched and all, you know, like I said. I just thought that I would have liked a little more. A little more oomph. I don't know. Anyways, some of the more ridiculous moments, you know, I thought. So, I mean, like, I, I talked about Elizabeth Warren a little bit on the, on the last episode. She She did fine. You know, she didn't she didn't have any huge gaffes or anything like that. She did her Elizabeth Warren thing. I, I just think she's dead on arrival. I don't understand how she can get past pretending to be a Native American. I definitely not like you might be able to get through the Democratic primaries with that, but you are not getting past Donald Trump. If you don't think Donald Trump is going to bring that up with every question He'll probably invite a bunch of Native Americans to come sit in the front row from whatever tribe you pretended to be. It, it's never going to end. It, you are just going to be beaten over the head with this tomahawk that you've created. You're, you're going to be Pocahontas but the entire time. Like, There's just no way that you can beat Donald Trump. None. Um, so, I mean, I don't, even if she, even if she does have a great night, I, I, I don't think she can win the nomination. Maybe she'll win the nomination. I don't know. That I would advise against it. If if you're trying to get if you're trying to beat Donald Trump, Focahontas is not the way to do it. Okay. Um and she I mean, she just has awful po- like I have a plan for that. All of her plans boil down to uh yeah, the rich the rich will just pay for it. We'll just have the rich pay for it. We'll just steal more money from the rich to give it to to give it to you guys to buy your votes. Um, that's not a plan, okay? Her ideas are horrible. We've gone over some of them in previous episodes. I'm sure we'll cover them again. I don't have enough time to get into that. But suffice it to say that she didn't have a terrible night. She didn't have a great night. You know, she was just sort of, she was she was front and center. She got probably the most time to talk. Um, and she didn't really get into any exchanges with anybody. So she was just sort of existing on the JV team. And then you had Beto O'Rourke, Robert Francis O'Rourke, I think had a terrible night. Um, This is a guy that a a few months ago, the media seemed to have thrown all of their support behind. He just came came out of no... Look, so he he was running for um, the Texas Senate seat against uh, Cruz, Ted Cruz. And he almost, I guess he almost beat Ted Cruz. That was his claim to fame. And and you can see, you know, the, the Democrats salivating at the thought of of being able to take Texas from the Republicans. Like that would just be a huge game changer. And so I think the media thought that maybe they could ride that almost victory and and sort of catapult him into stardom or something like that. And so they did that weird Vanity Fair cover. I I don't know. I don't know what people see in this guy. He comes across as just absolutely pathetic. He had a horrible night. He he is literally Jeb Bush of the Democratic candidates. He is he he came across weak, timid, meager. I don't know, just like a pitiful excuse for a candidate. He has this weird head bob thing that he does and these awkward gestures. 
He looked like an absolute beta male. You know, Beto is a beta. And Trump would just be licking his chops to to just destroy this guy like he did with low energy Jeb. Low energy Jeb. Like, <laughs> I can't, I, I mean, I honestly hope that I don't think he has a name for Beto yet. I, I got I hope Beto makes it far enough for, for Trump to just give him a name. I love these Trump nicknames. <laughs> I mean, low energy Jeb, it was perfect. And it just completely destroyed Jeb Bush. Nobody will look at him the same. Beto O'Rourke had the most cringeworthy thing. Him and Cory Booker just decided to start speaking Spanish unprovoked they asked Beto he was the first one to do it so they asked Robert Francis O'Rourke if he supported a 70% income tax bracket top bracket and he just starts talking in Spanish about something completely unrelated and so then I guess Cory Booker I guess he maybe he was planning on speaking Spanish like he you could tell he looked kind of pissed that that Beto beat him to the punch there and there's all there's that meme going around with him just staring he's got the dagger eyes at Beto so let's bone up on our eighth grade Spanish real quick and and listen to what got Cory Booker so worked up this economy has got to work for everyone and right now we know that it isn't and it's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that it does necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía pero si queremos hacer eso Necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada, votar, ca cada votante necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos escuchar. Right now we have a system that favors those who can pay for access and outcomes. That's how you explain an economy that is rigged to corporations and to the very wealthiest. A $2 trillion tax cut that favored corporations while they were sitting on record piles of cash and the very wealthiest in this country at a time of historic wealth inequality. A new democracy that is revived because we returned power to the people, no pacts, no gerrymandering, automatic and same-day voter registration to bring in more voters, and a new Voting Rights Act to get rid of the barriers that are in place no now. Work. That's how we each have a voice in our democracy and make this economy work for everybody. That, that's time, sir. I'll give you 10 seconds to answer if you want to answer the direct question, would you support a 70% individual marginal tax rate, yes, no, or pass? I would support a, a tax rate and a tax code that is fair to everyone. Tax capital 70%. at the same rate that you, you tax ordinary income. Take that corporate tax rate up to 28%. You would generate okay. the revenues That's you time. need to pay for the programs we're talking about. That's time. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So that was the first instance of Spanish speaking in this debate. And I... I got to say, what's almost as funny as that is at the end when the moderator is just like, okay, I'll give you 10 seconds to answer the question. Yes, no, or pass? Or pass? <laughs> or pass? What the hell kind of, what, what is this? Aren't, you're a moderator. You're not, so passing is just an option? Oh, yeah, no, I'll pass on that. I pass. <laughs> you could just, oh my God, this, this whole debate is a fucking clown show. These moderators are garbage. These candidates are garbage. You just break out into Spanish? That's your plan for defeating Donald? That's how you're going to defeat Donald Trump? What is, that? what is supposed to be gained by this? Other than just becoming a fucking meme for the rest of your life and a laughing stock. Your Spanish, his Spanish is not very good, by the way. 
So what do you hope to accomplish? What do you think? There's a bunch of Mexicans watching these debates and they don't speak English. So so like 1% of the debate, the one, the, the, the 30 seconds there of Beto talking in Spanish and then about 25 seconds of Cory Booker is all they, the only parts of the debates that they understand. You think you just converted a lot of voters? Oh, well, he speaks eighth grade. He speaks Spanish at like a seventh grade level. He's got my vote. Or did you just play right into the hand of Donald Trump? I mean, have you made it any more clear that you're just trying to import votes from Mexico? Because that's what they're that's what they're all worried about, that you're just you're just pandering to the to the Hispanic vote. Pandering to Hispanics, you want open borders so that you can get a permanent voting block for the Democratic Party. And here you are speaking Spanish in America during a presidential debate. That's your plan. Trump will run against that any day of the week and twice on Sundays. You know, at one, part, at one point during this debate, the moderator asks them to raise their hand if they want to decriminalize crossing the border illegally. And almost everybody did. I, I, I can't remember if anybody actually didn't raise their hand for that. Decriminalizing illegal border crossings is, for all intents and purposes, an open border policy. Okay? So the, the Democratic platform, as far as I can tell, is we're going to give free college tuition for everybody. We're going to forgive Everyone's student loan debts, Medicare for all, open borders. Anybody who wants to enter the, the country can do so. They will not be deported. They will not be, there will not be criminal charges. So anyone from anywhere in the world can come here and they will get free health care paid for by the taxpayer. That's their platform right now. That's what they're offering. Free stuff for everybody, open borders, free health care for, for anybody in the world basically can just come over here and get health care paid for by the American taxpayer and that and you and you're speaking Spanish in in the debates. Donald Trump will run against that and win every single time. 100 times out of 100. There are still some sane people in the country that realize that that is that you just cannot have a country like that. Okay? If you want to have open borders, you cannot have the welfare state even as we have it, let alone expanded like these candidates are talking about okay you there's just no way to afford it and the idea that you're going to ask ask people to pay for everyone else's health care in the country pay for their families and oh yeah by the way now you have to pay for all these other families coming in from all these other countries and all their health care as well i mean there's just no way that you can win on taking these stances i don't care how much people hate donald trump so, uh, you know, Cory Booker, he's another one of the bigger names, I guess, in in the JV squad. And, you know, he did. I thought he did OK. I don't know. He always just comes across as sort of a, a, a poor man's Barack Obama to me. And I don't I don't think that's going to play very well. He kept talking about his neighborhood. You know, <laughs> that, that was a joke that was going around Twitter. Like, what fucking neighborhood is Cory Booker talking about that's getting shot up all the time? Every everything came back to his neighborhood and all the crime and and the, all all the violence and his neighborhood and all the hardship. You know, everybody was a victim. They all have to one up each other in victimhood status. I just I, I don't know. He started doing the Spanish thing too, and he's just he's 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 got the whole fake phony thing. He doesn't come across as very authentic. He's not very charismatic. 
he tries too hard to be something he's not. Like I said, he's a poor man's Barack Obama. He's like a cheap knockoff store brand. He's the off-brand bag of cereal that's at the bottom of the shelf at the end of the cereal aisle. You know, in the commercial that the guy's like crawling towards. He just he tries too hard to be like Obama, and then at the same time he plays up how bad his neighborhood is. You know, he, he's pretentious. It even comes across in his Spanish. He's over-enunciating. He comes off as kind of pretentious in Spanish as well. I didn't even think that was possible to sound pretentious speaking Spanish, but he managed to do it. So I, I don't know. He didn't have a bad night, but he did do some cringeworthy Spanish stuff. Here's the Spanish that he spoke, just so you can compare it to Beto. See who's got better Espanol. La situación ahora es inaceptable. Este presidente ha atacado, ha demonizado los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable y voy a cambiar este. Congresista O'Rourke. ¿Qué haría usted en el primer día, si usted es presidente, sobre esta realidad que está ocurriendo? What would you do, Congressman, day one at the White House? Vamos a tratar cada persona con el respeto y dignidad que merecen como humanos. Okay. I mean, listen to him roll those R's, huh? His Spanish is far superior to Beto. So I guess if we're just judging candidates based on their ability to speak a foreign language... Cory Booker's got this hands down. Now, I have no idea what these guys are thinking or why they think that's going to play well. But believe it or not, that was not the most insane thing that we heard. The most insane thing that I think I heard in this Democratic shit show came from the actual, the actual Hispanic guy on the panel, the only one who might be justified in speaking Spanish, Julian Castro. Let's, um, let's go ahead and and hear what he has to say. Well, my, the next question is for you. Democrats have been talking about the pay gap for decades. What would you do to ensure that women are paid fairly in this country? Thank you very much uh, for that question, Lester. You know, I grew up um, with a mother who raised my brother Joaquin and me as a single parent. And I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like uh, to rent a home and to worry about whether you're going to be able to pay the rent at the first of the month and to see a mom work very, very hard and know that moms across this country are getting paid less simply because they're women. I would do several things, starting with something we should have done a long time ago, which is to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, finally, in this country, and also pursue legislation so that women are paid equal pay for equal work in this country. Okay, let's pause it right there real quick. It really is unbelievable that we're still we still have to go over this gender wage gap issue year after year. This guy, Julian Castro, it's about time we, pay, we pass the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act. Guess what, Julian? We already fucking have that. It's already passed. It's already illegal, okay? You've already made it illegal to pay men more than women for doing the same job. You can't make it any more illegal. And this whole thing is just complete bullshit. There is nothing to this. The only way that you get these gender wage gap numbers that they're talking about is if you don't put in any controls whatsoever into these statistics. Like, you don't account for hours worked. How do you not account for hours worked in an honest statistical study? It's just absolutely ridiculous. You don't even have to look at statistics to know that this is bullshit. Because think of what these Democrats are saying. You know, on the one hand, all of them, 
all they want to do is rail against these greedy corporations, right? These greedy companies, they only care about profits, profits over people. They will work you to death if it means that making another dime on in, in profits, right? Well, if they're so fucking greedy, if all they care about is profits and women get paid, can get, they can get by paying women 77 cents for every dollar they pay a man to do the exact same work, why wouldn't they just be hiring all women? That would be, they would just increase their profits by 23% by only hiring women. That's how you know that this is bullshit. Then, of course, if you look into this, uh, any, you can do any Google search, and in five minutes, you, you would have a, a thousand points about how this gender wage gap does not exist. If you actually account for, for controls that you should do, like hours worked or the type of job that you worked or level of education or anything like that that they're not controlling for, that wage gap completely disappears. Okay, what else you got, Julian? All of you on stage support a woman's right to an abortion. You all support some version of a government health care option. Would your plan cover abortion, Mr. Secretary? Yes, it would. Uh, I don't believe only in reproductive uh, freedom. I believe in reproductive justice. And, you know, what that means is that just because a woman, or let's also not forget someone in the trans community, a trans female, uh, is poor, doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to exercise that right to choose. And so I absolutely would cover the right to have an abortion. Okay, that right there, that is the most insane thing I have ever fucking heard in a debate. Reproductive justice. What the hell does that even mean? Reproductive justice? And notice how it's met with thunderous applause before anyone in the crowd could even possibly know what the hell this guy's talking about. That's the electorate. That is the American people. All you have to do is throw out some buzzwords and people go absolutely crazy. The left loves any sort of modifier to the word justice. You know, economic justice, social justice, and now reproductive justice? <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? Justice is a word that does not need a modifier. It's either justice or it's not. Something is just or unjust. That's it. But of course, he goes on to elaborate, just for, for I guess, for my, for my own benefit, because I don't know what reproductive justice is. Apparently, everybody in the crowd knew as soon as he said it. His elaboration on, uh, or his definition of the term, is a complete perversion of the word, like everybody in, in government. Like justice, like the like the fetus committed a crime and it needs to be it needs to be aborted. That, that you know, like they get, they put it on trial and they're serving justice to that to that baby by killing it. This is insane. All right, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Anchor. And then let's not forget the transgender community. Uh, you know, transgender females. They they also need abortions, right? I think it's safe to say that we've officially gone off the deep end. What you are witnessing on this debate stage is a microcosm of the complete and total demise of an empire. The culture has gone to shit. The people are dumber than ever. We are so far indebted that nobody even talks about it anymore. But let's not forget about transgender women and their need for abortions. What? No. No, no. Feel free to forget about women that used to be men who don't have a uterus having abortions. That is a non-issue. 
We can stop pretending that that exists. You can put this right up there with uh, breast cancer awareness and gay pride parades. Not a pro- not an issue anymore. I mean, what the hell is going on here? Even if they could somehow defy science, which ironically the left claims to be obsessed with when it comes to matters of the environment, even though that science is almost just as suspect and faulty as as this uh, um, gender science that they hang their hats on. Even if you were to manage to somehow get a woman that doesn't have a uterus pregnant, this is not a problem worth talking about. Now, let's think about this. What percentage of the population is transgender? Is it like 1%, maybe less than 1%? Of that percentage, what, what percentage of that are men? Biologically men, just for the sake of this point. I know that they... They believe they're women or whatever. That's fine. But just for the sake of this point, I'm going to call them men. So what percentage of the transgendered community is actually biologically male? And what percentage of that could manage to get impregnated with the second coming of Jesus? And then what percentage of that would want to abort such a miracle baby? You would think that would be exactly one of the reasons why they want to change over to being a woman, right? Having a baby would be something that they'd like to be able to do. So if they actually managed to somehow get pregnant, why would they want to abort that? I mean, this is unbelievable. And what's worse, what's even more revealing is that nobody says anything. Nobody questions him on this. None of the other candidates take him up on this insanity. None of the moderators say anything. They all just nod their heads in agreement. Like, oh yeah, good point, good point. I didn't think about that. I was overlooking this crucial demographic of men getting abortions. People fucking applauded this. This insanity is met with cheers and applause. Has the whole world gone crazy? This is one of the most searing indictments of democracy that I can think of. And believe me, I can think of a lot. That anyone that would clap for that statement, gets a vote that counts as much as mine does, is the most damning evidence against democracy as I can think of. But of course, we all know that this day and age, in this environment of political correctness and censorship that we've bent over for as a society, that nobody can question this crap. We all know that if any of these candidates said anything derogatory about how insane it is to worry about men getting abortions, they would be ruined. Ruined. Their chances of becoming president might even be the least of their concerns at that point. But here's the thing. That shit's not going to fly when you're on a debate stage with Donald Trump. He doesn't have a filter He doesn't abide by your stupid and insane political correctness. He's not going to pretend that men can get pregnant for the sake of applause. I'm sorry, I don't mean men. I mean women that used to be men. If you say some stupid shit like this, he's going to call you out on it. Donald Trump will point out that there are biological differences between men and women, and you're going to be forced into the position of of trying to say that, no, no, you can get pregnant without a uterus. And how's that going to go over to all of the sane people watching these debates at home? They're all going to sit there and be like, oh yeah, like this guy's an idiot. A pandering, blithering idiot. What are, we, what are we doing here? Why are we talking about 
transgender women having abortions. I, I mean, this is this is the state of the Democratic Party. This is the state of politics in America. The topics that were covered in in both and I haven't even got Jesus. I haven't gotten to the second night yet. The topics that were covered, okay, gender gender pay gap. We we talked about war for like thirty seconds with Tulsi Gabbard. What? How high would you set the tax rate? Medicare for all, free college, you know, uh, forgiving student loans. They all agree on all this stuff. We have twenty two trillion dollars in debt. That never comes up. We are we are fighting the longest wars in American history. That barely came up. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard didn't even really make the case for that. She just was talking about how we have these wars and we should get rid of them. She didn't really hammer home the fact that these wars have been going on for 20 fucking years and that kids who are fighting in these wars today weren't even alive for 9-11. How how am I making that point? I, I don't know. I mean, there was just so much fluff and nonsense. We're talking about transgender abortions. You know, Democrats are constantly proclaiming how big of an embarrassment it is to have Donald Trump as president. You know, he's an idiot. He's humiliating. I can't even, you know. And I mean, for the most part, they're right. He is kind of an idiot. I mean, humiliating, I guess. I don't know. I find him to be hilarious. I love anything that takes the the, the aura of the U.S. presidency down a peg or two. To call Donald Trump an embarrassment, and then you have these as your candidates? This is what you're putting up there? Good luck. You better hope, all, all these Democrats out there, you guys better hope that the economy tanks on Donald Trump's watch. It is your only chance of beating him if you're going to put up candidates like this. Your only chance is that the economy drops out from under him. This house of cards economy that we've propped up with cheap money just comes tumbling down. Otherwise, he is a lock. He is an absolute lock. And the second night was not much better. So we had the the heavy hitters, right? You had Bernie Sanders, Sleepy Joe Biden, Sleepy Creepy Joe, right? You had Mayor Pete. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. You had some author lady... (laughs) Who actually made a very interesting, um, an interesting point that I agreed with, but she came across as completely crazy. Marianne Williamson, the spiritual author, when she wasn't talking about healing crystals or something like that, she made the point that there's no moral difference between a crime being committed by a regular citizen or by a, a government official. So I thought that was very interesting. Obviously, they just glossed right over it as if she never said it. But she's actually 100% right about that. There is no moral difference between me stealing from somebody and the government stealing from somebody. Um, Yet Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang was kind of hilarious. It didn't look like he gave a fuck about these debates. Couldn't even bother himself to put on a tie. So... And he spoke less than anybody else up there. I think he had two, he had like a closing statement and then he did his, he had like his explanation of his thousand dollar universal basic income. And that was it. Like you never heard from this guy. He was just standing up there. I mean, his his entire platform is just like, Hey man, I'll, I'll give you a thousand bucks, which, you know, isn't bad until the next candidate in line just says, yo, Hey, uh, 1,001. You know what I mean? Which is bound to happen. So, 
anyways, who else we have? We had um, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Eric Swalwell. Oh, and John Hickenlooper. I think, was he in that group too? I think he was. Might have been the first night. Doesn't matter. He's, he's going nowhere. Hickenlooper tried to make the point that socialism wasn't the answer. That, while true... It, that message is dead on arrival in the Democratic Party. He, he like God bless him for trying, but it, it ain't happening. Okay, this is this is a race to see who can who can give away the most um stolen goods. It was H. L. Mencken, I think, said that elections are an, uh, are an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods, and there is nothing that embodies that quote better than these Democratic debates. These were absolutely insane. Um, so the second night had a little more, little more energy to it. It was a little more, little more engaging, a little more entertaining. The, the candidates were going at each other a little bit. Eric Swalwell, it, that guy. I mean, he really drives me crazy. Full disclosure, I don't even know how he got, how he reached one percent in the polls. He, he is a, he is a complete buffoon. His big thing is going to be the gun control issue. That's what he's that's what he's resting his hat on. And I mean, I'm not saying that Eric Swalwell looks and sounds like a stroke victim, but if he was a stroke victim, I don't think I would be able to tell the difference. And he has just these cringe-worthy, cringe-worthy moments. And he he keeps talking about this gut, like he's going to forcibly install a gun buyback program. Okay, good luck with that. Good luck forcing the American people to turn over their guns to the government. Good luck going into Texas and forcing them to turn their guns over. That's going to go over real well. That's really going to keep the peace, you know, the gun violence to a minimum, is going in with an armed guard, you know, an armed police state, and forcing a bunch of law-abiding citizens to turn over their guns. Yeah, that that will keep the gun violence down. He had a pretty forgettable night. He tried to like go after Mayor Pete for not firing the the chief of police. Uh, I don't know. He had this stupid pass the torch thing about Joe Biden. You know how he's been in Congress so long and he needs to pass the torch to to a younger generation of idiots. And then, oh yeah, he also talked about student loans and how he wants to forgive all the student loan debt. Lo and behold, he also disclosed that he's got hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. <laughs> I mean, can that even be legal? There's no conflict of interest there. <laughs> I, I actually tweeted about this, you know, saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt and no chance of ever paying them back. Eric Swalwell does the only logical thing in running for president so that he can pass an executive order that will forgive all student loan debt. He, Eric Swalwell is going nowhere. Mayor Pete, I thought, of all of these clowns, he might have come across as you know sort of the most um, composed, presidential, intelligent. He actually um, has a couple brain cells to rub together. His ideas are pretty much just as bad, but he's better at articulating them and making them sound intelligent. So I, I think he might definitely be a player in this. I, I thought Bernie Sanders had a pretty weak night. He really... The, the problem that Bernie Sanders has is that the party has completely shifted to his point of view. 
in a very short period of time. You know, four or five years ago, he was he was the radical socialist, you know, and now everybody holds the exact same positions as he does. Forgive forgive student loans, have have college free for everybody, have Medicare for all. You know, the the entire party has moved to him. And so now there's nothing separating him from any of these other candidates. He's just this he just comes across as this grumpy old Jew with this, you know, his his ET pointing finger that he keeps shaking in everybody's face. So I, I think he's really gonna have trouble for for that reason, um, because everybody else has adopted all his policies. You know, there there's no there's no difference between him and Elizabeth Warren. And then it just comes down to likability, you know. And I don't know. I don't find him very likable. I find and he's he's just so old and he's he's an old white guy, you know. They're not gonna do well. They're not gonna do well in this in this current environment. This is not, this is not their um not their era. Uh, who else do we have here? So the the biggest takeaway from the second night of debates was the exchange between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Now, Kamala Harris, she might be the most authoritarian or at least the most openly authoritarian presidential candidate I've seen in recent memory. She literally just comes out and and she'll say, yeah, you know, I'll give Congress 100 days to do what I want them to do. And if they don't comply, I'll just do it myself. (laughs) I'll just do it. Constitution be damned. Like, listen, the United States is not a monarchy. You are not a queen. Donald Trump is not a king. You don't get to just do whatever the hell you want to do because Congress didn't pass the legislation you want. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. There are constitutional limits on your powers, okay? You're not supposed to be a dictator. It's sad because we've set a terrible precedence over the years, over the last hundred years or so, probably going back to Woodrow Wilson, maybe even Teddy Roosevelt, but even more so just in my lifetime with George W. Bush and Barack Obama with his phone and pen. The, the president was supposed to be basically just a figurehead. Okay, they have read the Constitution. He, has, he or she has very limited powers, not, almost nothing at all. They're not supposed to be doing much. Yes, you know, once Congress declares war, they're supposed to be the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. But that's about it. He's not supposed to be able to unilaterally overwrite the Constitution. And that's what Kamala Harris is talking about. I'm going to give Congress 100 days to come up with uh, gun legislation, or I'm just going to write it myself. You know, I'll pass a, an executive order. That's not how this is supposed to work. The Second Amendment is pretty clear. Shall not be infringed. If you want to change the Constitution, you have to go through the amendment process, which is intentionally difficult and cumbersome specifically so that people like Kamala Harris can't just go in there and decide, ah, the hell with it. I do what I want. She reminds me of Cartman from South Park. This whole fucking thing reminds me of a goddamn cartoon. Like that whole transgender thing, uh, transgender uh, females getting pregnant, that was literally in a fucking South Park episode. Mr. Garrison (laughs) transitioned to be a woman and then he was celebrating that he could get an abortion. It's a fucking cartoon. South Park called it. And now Kamala Harris is basically Cartman reincarnated. You know, respect my authority. 
and you know whatever whatever i do what i want <laughs> anyways um but she got her moment she got her moment compliments of joe biden and as i basically predicted on the last podcast joe biden is just completely fucked here i don't i don't see how he makes it through this not only is he a gaff machine he's old he looked old and jaundiced, if you ask me. I don't know, maybe it was a bad makeup job. But he's dumb. He's not quick on his feet. He's not very good at being a politician or running for office or whatever the hell these clowns are trying to do today. Um, he's just not very good at it. All he can do is, is really stand up there and say, Obama likes me. That's it. You know, And then throw in the fact that He's the epitome of everything the Democratic Party claims to be against. You know, he's old, white, rich, privileged men. He's a very weak candidate. He, he carries so much of the black vote, and I guess it's just because of Obama. It, it really is unbelievable. But I think that's going to wear off, especially if he keeps having exchanges like, like the one with, with Kamala Harris. I mean, you could tell. I'll play the clip here in a second. But you could tell that she was just fucking thrilled that he stepped in it she was waiting for her moment to drop her race card i i could actually see it i could the camera panned to the side so you could kind of see her face you could see her looking at joe biden right as biden was digging his shallow grave and she gets this shit eating grin on her face <laughs> you know like oh yeah i have the perfect response for this in in my pocket for this exact scenario like this is what we've been waiting for and biden is so fucking stupid he has to know he has to know that this type of shit is going to come out you have to you have to have a plan you have to have a plan of attack you have to have a way of throwing this right back at her but of course he didn't he was unprepared for the most predictable attack against him here's the exchange i do not believe you are a racist And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but You also worked with them to oppose busing. Look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America? Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, there was a failure of of states to to integrate public schools in America. I was part of the second class to integrate Berkeley, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a local decision. So that's where the federal government must step in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. The Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA because That's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. Supported- okay, so that's the exchange that everybody's talking about. That the the media is fawning over this. I mean, that was pretty bad for Joe. 
he's trying to make a nuanced point here. And it's just, when matters of race come up, you can't be trying to make a nuanced argument, you know, a state's rights argument, something like that, where, you know, it wasn't the responsibility of the federal government to step in and override what, what the states were doing. He needed to have something else. Like, there was a lot of other issues. There were a lot of other problems with busing that, that he could have hit her with. I actually don't think that a lot of black people share the nostalgia of busing that Kamala Harris has. All he had to do was point that out. He, he just, he was not prepared to deal with that. I'm not as impressed with the whole Kamala Harris thing. I, I find a lot, you know, these phony crocodile tears like she was so hurt i don't buy it i know that play it's gonna play very well with her demographic and the media is certainly pushing it so all of these people that that look toward the mainstream media to be told what to think they're probably pretty happy about this exchange too i don't think a lot of black people like her i i could be wrong about this i i bet a lot of black women do because she's like a successful powerful black woman or whatever. I don't know. I don't think she has a lot in common with with the average black vote black democratic voter because she's a she was a, a vicious prosecutor who threw a lot of people in jail. Her father was a Stanford professor. So she comes from a pretty um well-to-do background. So I don't know how well she can connect with the average person. And you can see she's playing stuff up like this to make it seem like, you know, she's one of she's one of you guys, you know. I don't know. She just showed once again that she has no idea what the role of the federal government is. Not that this matters one iota to the Democratic voters, but the the states created the federal government. It was not the other way around. Right? The federal government is not this all-powerful thing that just gets to trample over the states whenever it decides to. She really needs to um, consult her constitution. But it doesn't matter at this point. She got the better of that exchange. She's, I think she's surging in the polls. Biden's dipping a little bit. We'll see if she keeps it up because, I don't know, she checks all the boxes, right? She's a woman. She's a minority. I mean, that's pretty much all they care about. The Democratic Party is obsessed with race and gender. And if it wasn't for the fact that she was a prosecutor, she might have this locked down. When she starts talking about how all these you know, families are being separated at the border, it's just like you separated families for a living through tons of people, tons of nonviolent so-called criminals in prison, separating them from their children. So, I don't know. She had another really cringy line. She had this thing where two of these candidates were kind of going back and forth, or maybe there were like three people all trying to talk at once. Like, everybody wanted to get their point out there, right? And it is kind of chaotic because you got ten people on the fucking stage. She's like something about like a... You know, the the American people didn't come here for a food fight. They want to know how we're going to help them put food on their tables. And it was just like, oh, God, that was cringeworthy. And she's standing there all fucking proud. Like she she was just looking for the exact, you know, the exact opportunity to throw that out there. And she was so proud of herself. I don't know how well that's going to play anymore. I It just seems I think the American people want more authenticity than that. Could be wrong, but I'm running a little long here. That is, those are definitely the highlights of of the two nights of Democratic debates. I still don't see a clear front runner. 
I, I can tell you who I don't see getting the nomination at this point. And, and that is, I don't think, and like, I, maybe this is considered an upset. I don't know, but Joe Biden should, would not be the nominee. Elizabeth Warren will not be the nominee. All these, all these like fringe characters, like you could forget about Eric Swalwell. You can forget about Klobuchar. You can forget about de Blasio, Tulsi. She's, she's not going to get it. You know, it's going to come down to, I don't know. I mean, Biden will probably make it through pretty far. I don't know. I guess, yeah. I mean, he's in an interesting position because it's going to be nearly impossible for him to get the Democratic nomination, but he would be okay against Donald Trump in the general election. The problem is he would have to move so far left to get the the nomination that it would be impossible. Like, what he has to do in order to win the Democratic nomination would make it impossible for him to win the general election. So I, 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 don't, I don't see how he can sort of walk that line and be successful. Whatever he has to do to win the nomination for the Democratic Party is what's going to counteract any of the positives, any of the things that they think that they can use to beat Donald Trump. It nullifies them because you know, what makes him stack up against Trump is that he's not one of these like a socialist whack jobs, right? But in order to get the nomination, apparently you have to be a socialist whack job. So then it comes down to the most electable socialist whack job. And I don't know. I don't know if Bernie's got enough fight in him. It might be Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. I don't know. We'll see. But the Democratic Party, to me, is, is just complete insanity. They are not talking about anything that actually matters. Their entire platform is just, oh, like like I said, you know, free health care for everybody, forgive everybody's student loans, free college for everybody, open borders so anybody from anywhere in the world can come in here and get the free health care and the free education. We also have to force people to pay for everyone's transgender surgeries, all their abortions, and the rich are going to pay for it. That's That's their plan. There was no, like, that's all that they talked about. And abortions. They love abortions. They love killing babies. Not a very popular stance to take in a general election. I, I think there are more pro-choice people than pro-life, but it ain't, I mean, it's still pretty close to 50-50. And, and the way that they just glorify it, it's going to come across very barbaric, and it might be a huge turnoff for a lot of people. This is, <laughs> this is not a winning platform. And, Donald Trump is a weak candidate. I mean, he actually has a record to run on now. You can attack him for all the shit that he's said that he hasn't done. He hasn't built the wall, has he? How's that wall coming along, right? Um, the economy is teetering on the brink of disaster. There are, like, he, his approval ratings are not great. They're uh, 40%, something like that. So, I mean, he is, he is a weak candidate. You literally have to just put up anybody other than like Hillary Clinton and all those people on stage there, <laughs> and you could probably beat them. But it it seems to me like they are trying to find a way to lose to Donald Trump. It really is unbelievable. They're speaking Spanish, talking about transgender women getting abortions. Let's not forget. Let's not forget those women that used to be men that still have that pesky Y chromosome. They're going to have abortions too. They can have abortions. Yes, we cannot question this. I mean, 
I have no idea who is going to shake out and get this nomination. I think I know who's not going to get it, but I am going to enjoy every second of the political theater and the circus that is the Democratic Party as they try to wrestle with each other to steal more from the American people in order to buy your vote. As H.L. Mencken said, an election is nothing more than an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods. And that is the Democratic Party today. All right, so I'm going to wrap there. Stay tuned for further debate coverage. I hope um, hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked the episode today, make sure you share it with some of your friends. Share it with at least two people that you think would enjoy it and one person that you think just needs to hear it. Make sure you give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And if you want to support the show monetarily, you can go to our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you want to continue these debates, you can join our private Facebook group. We are accepting applicants. And if you can do all that, I will be back with or without Johnny the Jew. Rain or shine, I will keep bringing it. Until then, just remember to keep on paddling that so-called fiction. Peace.